cliffcentral.com. Welcome to our Business Masterclass. I'm Richard Angus, CEO of the Finance Team, your part-time financial executive solution. Last week, we talked about the whole question of digital versus traditional marketing. Great podcast. If you haven't had the opportunity yet, download it from our website, www.thefinanceteam.co.za or www.cliffcentral.com. Today's theme is one that uh, has got me a little concerned. I think it concerns everybody, and that's the whole question of identity theft. Joining us in studio as our guest is Claude Langley, Business Development Manager, Africa for HID Global. Welcome, Claude. Thanks, Richard. It's nice to have you with us. Now, Claude, the whole question of identity theft, I think we, we all sit back and go, what is this identity theft thing? Because it's something that's almost become part of our lives as the, the world's, let's call it, evolved from a technology perspective. If you'd asked us 20 years ago, could your identity be stolen? The answer probably would have been, nah, I, I think I'm okay here. Nowadays, the reality is that you get a, you, you get these phone calls. In fact, I happened because of everything that's been going on, I actually happened to check my personal credit profile uh, recently, only to discover I've got a judgment against me from some municipality in the Eastern Cape that I can't even pronounce its name, and I don't even know where it is. I had to Google it to find out where it is for 1,400 Rand for something, and I'm going, okay, how did that even end up on my credit record? And it was from 2014. And I check my credit record every year. It wasn't there a year ago. So it's now there, and it was a 2014 issue. So I kind of go, okay, either somebody's got a data problem, possibly, or there's an identity theft issue. So this kind of you know, became very real in my life all of a sudden. And I think nowadays it's becoming more and more prevalent. Um, you, know, you hear scenarios of people um, having ID, identity documents taken, uh, proof of address, everything that they need to open, bank accounts, credit at retail facilities, etc. Talk to us a little about the landscape of identity theft. How bad is it out there, Claude? Should I be worried? Should we be worried as business owners? Yes, definitely, Richard. Um, the problem is difficult to quantify, but it is definitely growing day by day. Um, identity theft is one of those um, crimes that, as you've just mentioned, you only get to identify it sometimes. A year later, two years later, in some cases three, four years, where yeah. these syndicates have obtained your information, opened bank accounts, purchased cell phones, mm. you name it. And you only get to pick that up like yourself. You do your credit check once a year. There's yeah. not many people that are diligent enough to do that. Mm. Um, people, Some people never check their credit records. Mm. It's only now starting to pick up, and, and people only pick it up once they apply for a bond or they apply for finance or – some people even use job interviews mm. because they apply for a job in the financial sector and um, they pick up, you've got a judgment. Now, mm. to correct that, in some cases, you've got to go to the high court. That, that there's, there's lawyers, there's expenses. Now the onus is up to you to prove that you never acquired those services. So mm. you can imagine the paperwork, especially when it's going a year back or six months. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I, I was going to say, I think for me, the, the the thing that's shifted is if this had been maybe 10, 15 years ago and that was now on my credit record and I'm using me as an example because it's happened, um, I had this 1,400 Rand Eastern Cape whatever 
uh, local council judgment against me for 1400 bucks. I'd merely go, oh, no, this must be a data error. That would have been my instant assumption. I would have phoned up the um, – the, you know, the provider or the, the credit bureau and ask them to check. And my, let me call it my starting assumption would always be, Hey, somebody got an ID number wrong when they were capturing something or something of that nature. You would assume that it is an administrative clerical error in the process. However, unfortunately, nowadays you cannot make that assumption. It could be a clerical error. Give me that. But there is a high probability now that I'm going to have to deal with the challenge of trying to prove that I have never heard of this place before. I mean, it was actually quite funny that I actually had to Google it to figure out where it was. Um, and it's some t- place in the middle of the Eastern Cape. And so now the question is, you know, do I now have to interact with a town council and some clerk somewhere trying to explain to them that I don't know who they are and I don't know where they got me from. And they're going to say, well, we've got all of your your ID document, the this, your that, whatever. And I'm now going to have to stack this all up and try and prove that I didn't use 1,400 rands. With it. And for 1,400 rands, I mean, think about that, what that's going to cost me in my time as a professional what I'm going to have to invest now in undoing this identity confusion, so to speak. So identity theft is far more, in, in my mind, it's, it has a far higher impact than we perhaps think. Because until it happens to you, you don't know the cost of it going wrong. Correct. And, and that's why people are so careless with their data. Mm. Because it's one of those crimes, we're all aware of it, we all know it's affected somebody that we know. But until it affects you, only then do you pick up the actual impact, as you say, not just financially, but time, there's, you know, to, to correct this. Yeah. Now, I mean, surely this, this problem has been, has been around and has been going for a long period of time. So, you know, there, there must be ways to combat identity theft. Um, I mean, how, how are people dealing with this problem? And, and, and maybe I should contrast this because I think there's people that are impacted by this in a, in a huge way in the form of people like the banks, for example, uh, credit providers, massive credit providers. So the big retail chains, et cetera. So they, let's put them in, in one category. They, they're the, what I would call high transaction volume, high value type of scenarios. And then you've got the, let me call it the smaller type of environments where, Perhaps still confirming who you're dealing with is a, is a critical part of your, your daily world. So let's talk first about, let's go first to the world of banking. I mean, I've seen now uh, of late that there's, a, there's a real strong push, um, towards, you know, multiple forms of verification of who you are. I, I must say, I've now stopped, you know, before you'd get this phone call coming in and say, hi, I'm so, from so and so, and I need to just verify your identity before I tell you the following things. And my comment now is, hold on a second, you called me. I don't know who you are. Okay, so before, if you got a phone call saying, hi, I'm calling from the bank, I need to talk to you about X or about something on your account, I however just have to verify that I am talking to you, you know, before you would think nothing of it. Nowadays, I actually don't. I go, okay, well, I tell you what, you give me, you tell me who you are, and the number I can call you on, that's a bank number that I recognize that's on your website or wherever, I will call you back to verify that you are who you say you are before I answer your security questions. Because I'm not telling you anything until I know who I'm talking to. 
and the person on the other side gets a little bit, I guess, agitated when I do this to them. But I think to myself, you know, they they ask me the standard security questions. Wow, that would be great if somebody, you know, Chantal, or you call me up and say, "Hey, I want I want to know, um, you know, who you, you know, your date of birth, your, you know, is there other card holders on your account? All the standard kind of security questions that you can get asked." They can ask all these questions, you give them the information, and you're actually feeding somebody who's perpetrating a fraud on your account on the other side, for all intents and purposes. So, yeah, um, well, you know, how, how are these big institutions dealing with this identification issue? So the institutions are deploying biometrics. Okay. Um, you've got multiple forms of biometrics. You've got voice biometrics, fingerprint biometrics, um, retina biometrics. There's multiple... Um, biometric technologies available, but for most of your listeners, um, you'll notice the bigger banking institutions in South Africa, when you enter the bank, if you want to perform a transaction, they verify your fingerprint. Those okay. fingerprints are actually authenticated against the Department of Home Affairs. So, Ah, so here we have the reason why when I go and get my ID or my passport or whatever, we've had to capture fingerprints, fingerprints, fingerprints galore. Okay. Correct. So... So now you've got the, besides the bank, having the comfort of knowing that Richard is Richard, you as the client can also have the comfort that Joe Bloggs can't walk in with your ID that he picked up out of your wallet mm. and um, impersonate yourself and draw money out of your accounts or open accounts. So the banking industry has been leading the way with regards to the biometrics. However, retail and other sectors are fast adopting this technology in order to eliminate that identity theft. Mm. Because now at point of, of origination, you as the retailer or the finance provider are 100% sure that this individual is who they claim to be. Mm. Thus removing the 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 syndicates from stealing your, your identity. However, just as you mentioned earlier, it doesn't stop them from phoning you. So your approach is 100% correct. It's, that goes for websites, anything. The financial institutions tell you they will never phone you and ask you for questions mm. or information. Mm. So if they do get agitated, so be it. It's your mm. right and it's your responsibility to make sure that you are Talking to a responsible person. Yeah. No, well, I mean, I, I've now made the assumption, and I think listeners, you can make the assumption. If they call you, you have to do the security questions on them, not the other way around. 100%. And uh, the, the best one, by the way, that I had was, and it was clearly a fraud scenario. I had somebody phone me, and they asked for some information, and then they made the mistake of asking me. And I, and I, I actually didn't realize that, uh, like, just confirm your full names. I mean, Richard and Angus, da, 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 and date of birth. And I gave that and then something. And at that very moment, they made the f- mistake. They asked me for a number that, uh, that they should have had. They claimed to be from, I think it was, if I remember correctly, from Telcom and they should have had that number. And I went, what number do you have on your records? And there was like silence and they said, um, no, we don't appear to have the correct number. And I said to them, well, that's very interesting because you managed to send me a bill every month for that number. So if you are who you say you are, then you should have that number. 
I don't think we need to continue this conversation, do we? And they just put the phone down. And I thought to myself, wow, you know, that was close. I was, I mean, I'd, I hadn't given out any, anything that was significant enough for them to be able to use against me. But, you know, it's all publicly, that would have been publicly available. But I was about to enter the world of, let's call it my personal information. And I realized, oops, you know, there's a problem here. And, and timing is what makes us, makes judgment errors. We've had professionals in the industry under pressure working on something. Phone call comes in. Mm. Guy says, you know, Mr. So-and-so, can I have your data? Because you're not thinking, you're not focusing on the phone call, mm. hands over the data. Tomorrow morning you wake up, they've cleaned out your bank account, and you wonder, how did this happen? And as I said, it happens you know, to professionals. Yeah, you, know, you hear people saying, my bank account was accessed, and I don't remember giving out anything or doing anything. And then when they go back and check, there were two phone calls, you know, two weeks apart, Two completely different environments or issues, but by putting the, pooling the data, well, they've got what they need. Yeah, a huge, a huge challenge. Now, just from the, from the perspective of, so banks want to identify you as you walk in. I mean, things like, you know, being able to identify you from voice print. You talked about voice print type of technology as well. I mean, I, I've recently had them, or call centers from, I think it was banks or was it an insurance company? I can't remember. Who said they now will, when you talk on the phone, they'll know who you are from your voice print analysis and they'll be able to, you know, that you no longer have to key in your 18 digit number followed by hash, followed by your birth date of your grandmother, your aunt and your uncle. And no, I hate those sort of systems. Um, they'll be able to identify you from your voice print. How effective is that type of technology versus – I mean, I think fingerprint technology, we all can understand. It's tangible. It's tactile. I, I kind of go, voice print? Like, is my voice that unique? So, yes, your voice is that unique. However, like with any system in the wrong environment, you know, if you're driving with your car window open – you're trying to verify your voice print and there's, there's the, 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 the disturbance is right onto your phone mic or your car kit. If the disturb, if there's too much disturbance, the system will fail. So like with any system, it's got its, its strengths and its weaknesses. weaknesses. Um, mm-hmm. Obviously the banking industry do their due diligence, due diligence on any solution that is, uh, deployed to ensure that you know, that they don't have a system that's going to fail every single time you phone. But, those kind of biometrics are definitely environmentally affected, whereas, as you mentioned, biometrics, um, fingerprint biometrics are, as you've been around for years, and they are a very secure method of authentication. Um, now, now, just a, a practical question. I mean, fingerprints, I mean, we, we, everybody knows fingerprints are, are unique to the individual. What happens if there's issues with your fingerprints with that home affairs database or the collection? Because, I mean, there is a, there is an assumption that the fingerprints that home affairs have for you are accurate. Is that assumption one that we can rely on? I mean, what happens if somebody gets into that database and changes out fingerprints or goes to home affairs and applies for an ID in your name and tries to tries to change the fingerprints on file. Can that happen? Look, Home Affairs is the most secure database mm-hmm. in the country from a fingerprint perspective. Um, 
they've got multiple checks and balances in place to ensure that 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 type of incidents don't occur. Mm-hmm. Um, when you talk about getting into a database to change fingerprints, again, it depends on the method that the fingerprints are stored. Um, like, for example, with our HID solution, a fingerprint image is not stored. It's okay. actually a mathematical string that's encrypted, that's protected. So to undo that and to recreate a print okay. from a string is literally... Okay, you're, talk, you're, you're talking massive hacking capability Correct. there, which we're going to assume we're not we're not going <laughs> to have at this point on on that. But I, I, I guess the reality is, it does preface that the home affairs capturing of your initial fingerprint was correct. And I mean, nowadays when you go to home affairs, they've gone through that like basic, and, and I, I guess in a way it's almost a little bit of a saved saved by the process type of thing. We, we've well past the capturing of most fingerprints. So unless it's somebody new arriving in the country, most people have got their fingerprints captured already. Um, so we're now when you want to go and chain or get a new ID, they want your fingerprint from the old ID, so so to speak, oh, or a reference. Um, but there is always the risk that at some point along the way, and you know somebody rocks up or rocked up uh, for the first time around to record your your fingerprint. But by now you should know you have a problem. Correct. And I mean, the technologies that are being deployed are deployed specifically to avoid any of these type of situations. There's a point of reference, as you say. A brand new fingerprint, you know, depends on the processes within the Department of Home Affairs, how they ensure that they can verify vet that this person is who he is. Because, you know, if you do manage to get a fingerprint captured falsely with Home Affairs, you know, there are probably loopholes, but um, Home Affairs have been in the game long enough to prevent and close those loopholes. Mm. Now, just a, a question from my side. I mean, if, if fingerprint technology is so robust, why are we not all using this for all forms of identification? Why is my car not starting with my fingerprint? I mean, that would make sense. You'll see it's coming. <laughs> okay. So, so I shouldn't have asked. <laughs> it's coming. So, so fingerprint biometrics, as I mentioned, are being adopted more and more at a, an aggressive scale to protect people in various ways, shapes, and forms. Um, and the technologies behind fingerprint, behind the fingerprint sensors has also evolved. Um, you know, like, for example, our HID Global's got a product that's called multispectral imaging, where it not only takes the surface print, it actually takes the subsurface print, um, plus it checks for liveness detection. So you've got multiple modes and factors that it considers before it accepts that fingerprint. Um, you know, the the Hollywood stories that you get of spraying perfume and dust <laughs> and that type of thing on a sensor, make no mistake... It, it is possible on cheaper sensors, on the low-end sensors that just opens a door, that type of thing. So, like with everything, if you, you've got to purchase the product that's fit for fit for purpose, for, for purpose, or else you know, it is possible to cheat biometrics. Mm-hmm. Um, but then again, you as the purchaser or the acquirer of the technology needs to do the due diligence. You know, if you're going to be protecting. High value assets. You don't hmm. want to buy a sensor that's a hundred rand. Yeah, it's like everything in life. If you want to, if you want to protect a million rand, you don't put it behind a two lever lock. 
Correct. 100%. <laughs> you know, it's all, it's all, it's all relative. You get the protection that you, that you purchase. Now, is the technology, has it moved to that point where fingerprint now is becoming almost, let me call it the standard, or is it still like the optional extra that, 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 People are, you know, so what I'm saying is, are people actually going to start insisting on using fingerprint verification, you know, in, in, in business transactions, the likes? I mean, I, I'm thinking now for the smaller business owner out there that's listening to the show, you know, what do, what should they be worrying about in terms of this world? Should they be thinking, oh, well, don't worry, this is not my problem. This is the bank's, pro-, you know, bank problem or the car dealership problem or the, the attorney's problem for, you know, ho- you know, homes, cars, banking, you know, the big stuff. Mm. Or is this going to become an, a, a need, you know, at, you know, the, the, the retail store? I mean, I, I, I must admit, I, I often think, how much easier would it be if instead of having to put a, put a card and a pin in play at a tilt point, you literally could walk up, do what needed to be done, put your finger on the pad, and the money's out of your bank account? Wouldn't that be so much easier than having to worry about pin this and pin that? 100%. And um, one of our biggest markets, for example, is Brazil, where okay. they've got over 80,000 ATMs that work on exactly that principle. You no longer have a card and a pin. You've got a fingerprint and a pin. That's it. So you completely card this. A fingerprint and a pin. Okay, now there's an intro. I would have gone a card and a fingerprint. Okay, so so they're trying to do away with the the tangibles, and it's your finger you have with you all the time, I guess, and and your pin. Okay. It's a point of reference. So it's an account number, pin, whatever configuration they use. Mm-hmm. So you walk up to ATM, enter your account number, it pulls out your record, place your fingerprint, it says, this is Richard, give him his money. Okay. Um, that's, that's been very successful in the South American market. And you will see, even see now in South African the the ATMs, some of the new ATMs, you'll see there is a biometric sensor. They uh, banks have still got to trial them, but um, it's definitely coming to South Africa. So once you've moved from the banks, the retail sectors are obviously going to follow suit. As mm-hmm. with the financial sector, life insurance, one of the biggest uh, fraud, um, most expensive fraud uh, incidences is from life insurance. I take out life insurance on Richard or whoever that is, produce a fake death certificate, done. You know, there's no verification from a life policy perspective. But, but can I just – so how are you going to get a fingerprint from a dead guy? No, so, so, <laughs> I'm just thinking this through. So it's not the dead guy. It's on origination. Ah, it's so, on origination. So we know who, we, who we're insuring. Correct. So currently I can draw, draw out of that who I want to insure – Get a false death certificate, and that is it. Now, with the biometrics, you can actually authenticate this is the person that is being insured, and you can be sure that it's not a false um, individual. I mean, yeah. these these people obtain death certificates daily from various sources and claim, you know, insure life for three months, produce a valid death certificate, and claim on the the policy. Mm. Yeah, I can see how that could become a problem. I, I was going to say the one one thing that I'm very aware of is just how how easy it is for people to sign documentation, for example, 
that they claim to be person X when they're actually not. Um, I know in my in my past in the world of banking, one of our questions was always who signed the home loan documentation. And there were many syndicates that operated in this principle of, uh, I remember once uh, we had a sting operation with the police to capture somebody that we realized was involved in some sort of syndicate. And not only did we capture them, but we caught their two or three accomplices, along with the car that we recovered was a car that had been financially stolen you know, via a financing scheme with one of the banks. It, it was quite an elaborate scheme that they had, all with, you know, Stolen identity documents, etc. So yeah, it does it does play out there. You'll see it in the, in the <coughs> corporate space as well, um, mm. authenticating or proving payments. Um, mm. You know, password. I've shared my password with Chantal. I've left my desk. She's gone and done a payment to one of her friends. Done. Mm. You know, there's no true way to authenticate now. A biometric authentication is an irrefutable. Mm. Order trail. So I have to be there in order to authorize that payment. So, yeah. you know, it automatically reduces the, the temptation and the, the action. Of well, the- I was going to say, I, I can, having, having spent a lot of time in corporates, I can see, and in corporate and companies, I can see how fingerprinting on payment processes would be significant, even if it is not only the bank's payment processes, but the internal processes to say, look, I checked and verified this thing and, you know, it was actually me, um, as opposed to my, as you say, my written down password underneath my desk pad on the right hand corner. Isn't that where we all hide our passwords? <laughs> yeah, how many, how, how many times have we seen that in the, in the, in the world out there? So Claude, just in closing, I mean, as a business owner, what sh- what are the top things that I should be thinking to secure using fingerprint type of technology at this point? I mean, I'm hearing payment streams is a good a good one. Obviously, your banking is 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 clear. What other sort of things should we be thinking about from an identity identity theft risk perspective? Depending on your business, you know, if if your business is extending credit or that type of thing, um, or you're involved in, in employment, those kind of environments. I would look up a service of a credit bureau um, mm. that actually provides that kind of a solution where you, if, if you take on a client or you employing somebody, you can actually take on a service that you present the fingerprint um, and you know from a, from a business perspective that you guaranteed the people you're dealing with are authenticated. So that, that el- el- eliminates fraud that can be acted against you from a client perspective. Um, there's multiple other business processes that you can implement biometrics, as you mentioned, internally mm-hmm. to ensure um, that your clerks are not doing payments or irregular payments. Set limits to your payments that if the payment's over 10,000 rand, that's got a second level of authentication. So um, mm-hmm. your management, for example, or if it gets to a million rand, that the CEO or the, if the financial director have to authenticate those payments. So... Those are the processes, even for the smaller guys. Mm-hmm. Um, we had an incident for a, a small company, managed to pay, they were supposed to pay an account of 200 rand. They transferred 2 million rand purely by error on the 
personal assistant spioff. Wasn't thinking, drinking coffee, hit the pay button. <laughs> oh, that was the most expensive cup of coffee the company's ever had to provide. Well, oh. Fortunately, and the recipient repaid that that sure. that money, but it doesn't always happen. So, yeah, you know, there's whether well, it's a small business or a large corporate, there are these these minor processes that you can put into place that can save you. Mm. Hundreds of thousands. And, and knowing exactly who is accountable for those controls, clearly through the identification processes, is, is, is critical. Correct. Claude, it's been great chatting to you. Um, we'll be very careful about where we put our finger, uh, fingers on which uh, touch pads and all the rest and make sure we're putting them in the right place. Um, thanks very much for your time. Really appreciate your insights. Thanks a lot. Next up in our, is our business conversation. Stay with us. And we're out. Cliffcentral.com